0: So welcome, welcome, uh, I'll call him Pastor Barry, but he's not what we to be called Pastor Barry. He's a minister, a missionary, a father, and he's been here before. How many of us remember him? Not many. He's been here before, he's spoken here before. Um, I'll just look at the notes so that I don't give you a wrong uh, <laughs> it says that Barry was born in, in Cape Town, South Africa, to a Jewish community. Wow. The anointed people of God. The holy people. All of us are holy because we are part of Abraham now. I not give a lot of information this morning, but uh, we're just happy to have you today to come and share with us what God has put in your heart. And I'm sure you'll be sharing with us a bit of your family and a bit of yourself. So let's put our hands together and receive Barry today that you are sharing with us the Word of God. Thank you so much and welcome to share with us. Shalom you all.
1: Oh, that's, uh, I, I don't know, did I hear you? Shalom you all. Shalom. Wow, that's great. So turn to the person next to you and say Shalom. Good, good, good. I love that. Love that. That's beautiful. It's uh, like waves, you know, waves uh, of goodness. Waves of goodness. Um, I'd like to greet you further and say how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Uh, It's a. It's something very special. that we can have as the body of Messiah if we uh, keep our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> uh, that's the only way we can have that unity. It's, uh, it's something very, very special. Uh, in, uh, there's a, a lovely song in Hebrew... Uh, gam yachad, uh, uh, and it's exactly what I've just said to you in English. How good it is when we can dwell together in unity. That's where God commands the blessing. And uh, we are to be a blessing, friends. We are to be a blessing to um, not just uh, our families or one another. <clears throat> we are to be a blessing to the whole world. It's a it's a wonderful wonderful opportunity. You know, I I'm speaking to my brother here uh, last night and even this morning, and uh, we come from the same place. We come from the same continent, Africa. <coughs> Mother Africa. I come from Cape Town. <clears throat> uh, they call it the Mother City. <laughs> it's a, it's a, quite a unique place. And uh, without unity, we have nothing. Stand together. Stand together in Jesus the Messiah. It's all we got. We don't have anything else. We really don't. You know, um, <clears throat> I am part of the ministry of Celebrate Messiah. You kn- I've been here before. <laughs> and Lawrence has been here before as well, um, my boss. Um, and uh, I'm sure you've heard a little bit about our ministry. Our ministry is to, to Jewish people. Uh, across australia uh, here in melbourne we have the largest jewish community uh, it's around 60 to 70000 jews that live in melbourne uh, after after melbourne comes sydney with around 45 to 50000 jews and then you have perth with around 10000 and so forth and then in the other states and <clears throat> you know we need We need God in our lives more than ever before right now. Because uh, there's so many things that will take us apart. So many things that will distract us. And just recently, uh, I went to go and... uh, This is something that I didn't think I would tell you, but I will tell you. Uh, Last uh, Saturday, I went to go and listen to a rabbi... Shmueli Bateyach, very famous man, because uh, he's a rabbi to the Hollywood stars. And uh, he was, he was uh, speaking, I went to the synagogue, he was speaking on anti-Semitism. And that, you know, as, as Jewish people, we suck at PR. <laughs> and perhaps we do. We don't do really well in promoting ourselves. But as I listened to him, I thought about, you know, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, is it? And who is it? God of Jacob, yes, that's right. You know, there's no, uh, there's no lack of um, promotion with God. He's really well known, even though people won't recognize him. He's really well known. Millions, billions, trillions have come to faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I didn't get a chance to speak to Shmili I would have liked to. Um, he's a very interesting person. Uh, as Messianic Jews we debate with him regularly and uh, he wrote a book once uh, which was called Kosher Jesus. <laughs> and we replied to him and said, yes, the real Kosher Jesus. The real Kosher Jesus. He's amazing. So Friends, like never before, I ask you to stand together in unity. And just in way of um, passing, I have my police lady out there, who is sitting there very, very. Uh, uh, she's guarding my table with uh, all of the, all of my books. <laughs> Thank you, sister. And uh, I've got some books for sale out there. There's uh, there's newsletters out there of Celebrate Messiah. If you don't get a newsletter, I would love you to get one. It'll tell you what's going on in terms of our ministry to Jewish people and how Jewish people are being saved right here in Australia and around the world. God is busy um, bringing his peace, his shalom, to Jewish people today through Jesus the Messiah. Maybe you don't hear about that, but we'd love to tell you. And so today I want to take us back to the basics and give you a brief overview of what the Bible says about the Messiah. I call these prophecies that we will now uh, see together and read together the credentials of the Messiah. Now, finding the Messiah, finding him, is comparable to the detective work of finding the culprit in a mystery story. Or if your kids uh, have the, where's the Wally, uh, where's the Wally books? Anybody? No, no, okay, right. Then you could uh, compare finding the Messiah to trying to find the uh, the Wally, right? Amongst all the other Wallies. okay? Uh, the other lookalikes. All you Wally watchers out there, right? Uh, you will know what I'm talking about. Messianic prophecies give us the ID of the Messiah, his identifying characteristics. So we can recognize the true Messiah and eliminate impostors. These credentials of the Messiah include his place of birth, his genealogy, his ethnic background, and even the time frame of his arrival. So, did you know, friends, that prophecy is actually unique to the Bible that you hold? In that you can't find prophecy in any other scriptures of world religions. Prophecy is missing from the Quran, the Hindu Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, the Book of Mormon, and the sayings of Buddha. In contrast, prophecy comprises about 30% of our Bible. And so today we are going to have a look at some of those messianic prophecies that speak about the first coming of the Messiah. And I firmly believe that the prophecies have been fulfilled by the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. I love the word Nazareth. Do you know what it means? It means the branch. That's one of our Messiah's uh, wonderful names. He's the branch. These prophecies, together with other more general prophecies, have proved the existence of God and validate the uniqueness of his word, the Bible. Since the time of Jesus, and thank you, Co-Pilot, you're doing great, Judaism has no less than 16 fraudulent Messiahs. A Jewish men who have claimed to be the Messiah and have gathered a significant following after them. Now, in very recent times, one such false Messiah was a man by the name of Menachem Mendel Schneerson. He was a head rabbi of an ultra-Orthodox Jewish sect called the Lubavitchers. Now, I know the Lubavitchers very well because my family is part of that sect. Most of his followers uh, were sure that he was uh, the Messiah, but seven years ago, uh, sorry, not, well, more than seven now, uh, he died at the age of 94 without having fulfilled these messianic expectations. Very clever man, very, 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 very clever. Some of his followers still today are waiting for him to come back to life. If you come to where I live in the holy land of St. Kilda... And you, (laughs) you drive up uh, Inkerman Street. Uh, You may have heard of that street, Inkerman. You'll get to a building there. Um, You wouldn't notice it because you wouldn't know what you're looking for. But it's an exact replica of this man's uh, house, uh, which was in Brooklyn, New York. And the Lubavitch community regularly uh, are there uh, day, night, and they pray. They pray, and uh, he is the intermediary for uh, their prayers. They pray and seek God's face through this man. And, you know, in some ways, I guess, uh, you know, people have reached out for centuries uh, in in different ways to find God, to, to find God, but... I find this one, for me, uh, very, very uh, important because my family are part of this sect. If you go into my family's home, you will see big photos of him up on the walls. And um, uh, he's, he's really a very important person because they think he's going to come back to life. They think he's the Messiah. They think he will be raised from the dead. So all of you Messiah watchers, Let's see what the Bible says about the Messiah. Will he be a man, an angel, or God himself? The first point I would like to make is that we wouldn't need a Messiah if it weren't for the fall of man. If sin had not entered the world through Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, then we would have no need of a redeemer, a Messiah. So it shouldn't come as a surprise. That the first messianic prophecy in the Bible is given shortly after the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. And so, thank you, Co-Pilot. These are the words that God speaks directly to the serpent. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God curses the serpent, that it caused the fall and declares enmity between the serpent and womanhood. This uh, enmity that we see here is to extend to the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, which ultimately refers to the enmity, enmity between Satan and the Messiah. This prophecy declares that the Messiah's genealogy will be reckoned after a woman and not a man. This runs contrary to biblical norm, because virtually all genealogies in your Bible are lists of men's names only. The fact that Moses traces this genealogy through the woman tells us that there will be something very different about the Messiah, something that necessitates Tracing his ancestry through his mother and not his father. Now, thank you, co pilot. The answer, answer, yep, to this came centuries later through the prophet Isaiah. And so this morning we are going to read together again. One, two, three. What does Emmanuel mean? Mm. Yes. Isaiah spoke of a special sign that God would give that the Messiah would be born of a girl who is still a virgin in fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. This was obviously fulfilled by the birth of Jesus who was born to a young Jewish girl named Miriam. And you know her better as Mary 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 states that the Messiah will crush the head of the serpent, that is Satan. And in the process, Satan will manage to wound the heel of the Messiah. Now that wounding speaks of Jesus' crucifixion, which obviously caused the death of the Messiah. But because of the resurrection, it was not permanent and ultimately resulted in Satan's demise. So, from these uh, first two prophecies that we have read here today, we see that the Messiah would be a specific individual, a male human being, born in miraculous circumstances. Now, the question is, will he be an ordinary human being? Our answer is found when we next pick up the Messiah's trail at another messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. One, two, three. Firstly it is important to note that ancient Jewish sages believed that this child child king described in this passage was the messiah. The Talmud it's a huge volume of um, Jewish writing it says this the name of the messiah is peace for it is said everlasting father prince of Peace. The first part of this verse emphasizes the humanity of the Messiah. A son is born who is destined to rule. The second part of this verse emphasizes the divinity of the Messiah. This special son was given four names. Each of these is applicable to God, yet three of them are only ever used of God in the Bible. Thank you, Copilot. Okay, you do the English, I'll do the Hebrew. <laughs> Pele Ya'utz, El Gibor, Literally, Eternal Father, or Aviad? Sar Shalom. The only name used for man and God. The name El Gibor, Mighty God, is especially noteworthy, friends. Many names contain the name of God in them. For example, uh, Michael or Daniel. Do we have any uh, person's name here that ends with E-L or has E-L in it? What's your name again, brother? Oh, dear. Yes. (laughs) Nice to meet you, Michael. (laughs) Yes, it contains the name of God in your name. However, the name that is given to this child, Al-Gibor, doesn't mean God is mighty, but literally means Almighty God. Now, you wouldn't name your child Almighty God, unless you wanted to be blasphemous, or if the child that was to be born was Almighty God in the flesh. So we maintain that the Messiah was not only to be human, but also God in the flesh. But where will he come from? What nation will he be born into? And into whose family? We pick up the Messiah's trail again as we look at the Messiah's family credentials. In the very next part of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 7, thank you, co pilot, let's read one, two, three. For the Messiah to reign on David's throne, he would have to come, firstly, thank you, Co-Pilot, he had to come from where? Nation of Israel, yeah. King David's own tribe tribe of? King David's family. And furthermore, in South Africa, we have a town called Bethlehem, <laughs> but it's not that one, <laughs> no. no, this one is in Israel, hey, please put up your hand who's been to Israel yet? that's all of you, right, one, two. two, two people, where have you guys been? time. <laughs> <Lockdown. laughs> come on, that hasn't been that long, <laughs> Ah, please, 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 I want you to go. You know, it will do something incredible for you as a person uh, in your walk with God. It will build your faith in a beautiful way. To walk uh, in, you know, in the Messiah's footsteps, it would be awesome. It would be awesome. Think about it. Perhaps, uh, you know, you're going to get that opportunity and, uh, you know, I know we're all itching to, to, um, to go and explore, right? So, furthermore, according to the prophet Micah, the Messiah would have to be born in King David's city, the city of Bethlehem. I, lo- I, love, I love that city. I love that city. There's, um, there's, uh, there's, there's a Baptist pastor um, uh, In in Bethlehem, his name is uh, Naim Kuri. I know him well now. I know him well, him and his wife, Elvira. And um, they killed his brother uh, because of his witness for Jesus. And then they came after him. And they shot him four times. But couldn't, couldn't, couldn't kill him. God spared his life. I love, I love Bethlehem. Bethlehem's an amazing place. And there's some amazing people in Bethlehem that love Jesus. Palestinians. I've been speaking to Pastor Fred and telling him about my brothers in Israel, both Jews and Palestinians who love Jesus. We have no other option. We have no other place to go for peace and unity, except in Jesus the Messiah. Some deep lessons that we need to learn. And please, God, when you go to Israel, I'd love you to meet some of them. They're amazing people. Some of them uh, pay a high price for their faith in Jesus. King David's own city. Thank you, Co-Pilot. One, two, three. Micah, this prophet, not only tells us where the Messiah would be born, but goes further to speak of the Messiah's eternal pre-existence. That's what he does. One ancient paraphrase uh, of the Hebrew uh, scriptures, the Targum Yonatan, uh, translates this passage uh, this way. Uh, From you shall come forth before me the Messiah to exercise dominion over Israel, he whose name was mentioned before from the days of creation. You, You know, friends, this was no ordinary man, but a supernatural person. But all these prophecies are not much help to Messiah-seekers today because all Israel's birth records were lost when the temple was destroyed in... When was it destroyed? Yes, thank you. 70 AD. From then till today, no Jewish person can tell with any biblical accuracy from which tribe he or she comes from. So any claims that the Messiah has arrived after AD 70 can't be taken seriously. By implication, the Messiah would have to be born before AD 70. This is the reason that the New Testament proves the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. When you open up the New Testament at the start of Matthew's Gospel, thank you, Co-Pilot, The first thing you read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 is? Matthew must have found it important to establish Jesus' family credentials right at the beginning of his gospel. Luke traces the messianic line of descent even further back than Matthew, not just to Abraham, but to Adam and even God. And so, thank you, co-pilot. We have now biblically established that the Messiah must be... Perhaps the most phenomenal of the Messiah's credentials are the prophecies of rejection and suffering. Isaiah was a Jewish prophet who wrote 700 years before Jesus walked this earth. In amazing detail, he gave a series of prophecies that have been called the Servant Songs. One of these four prophecies, Isaiah 53's, The most vivid prediction of the Messiah's rejection and suffering. On my book table out there, I've got a book, uh, which is a small book, uh, Isaiah 53 explained. Have a look at it when you go out. Christians call Isaiah 53 the rabbi's conscience. And they do this for two reasons. First, because this passage is not read in synagogue today. Now, Judaism prescribes that we read through Torah, we, and, and when I say Torah, I talk now about the whole Tanakh. The whole um, we do that in a year. So, um, if you come to synagogue, um, there will be specific portions that are read each, uh, each uh, uh, Sabbath, And so you will go through the whole of the Tanakh in a year. However, Isaiah 53 is not there. Uh, It's left out. And it's bothered me. Bothered me to the point um, where I went to uh, one of the rabbis that I know in the area that I live. Um, and I, I said to him, "Why, why, why are we not reading this portion of scripture um, through in, in the here? Um, why is it left out?" And he knows me. He knows me as a Messianic Jew. He knows that uh, he knows my family. And he said, "Barry, I will be very clear with you. I'll be very honest with you." He said, "We don't read Isaiah 53 in our Torah readings any longer." Because it is too controversial. Um, it is too controversial. Isaiah fifty three is a very, very, um, very clear portrait. A very clear portrait of, um, of, of a person who suffers. Another reason that Christian teachers uh, call Isaiah 53 the rabbi's conscience is because the interpretation of this passage has been changed since the 11th century, starting with a prominent rabbi by the name of Rashi. Before the Middle Ages, rabbis commonly taught that Isaiah referred to a personal messiah. We believe that. But, in the eleventh century, when Jewish people were often attacked and even killed by Crusaders, a prominent rabbi by the name of Rashi was the first to reinterpret this passage to refer to the nation of Israel instead of a personal messiah and so <laughs> it breaks me down you know when 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 I hear this again and again um, that that we 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 say that no, this is this is this is talking about us as a nation. It's, um, I, yeah, um, it's just it's just not right. Um, of course, the Holocaust has made this view even more popular, and this is why Jewish people mostly—that's what they mostly follow today. Unfortunately, friends, you know um, there have been um, things uh, that have happened in the past in the name of Jesus, which have been not kosher. And and Jewish people have been on the receiving end of that. I understand that very well. However, taken as it stands grammatically, and in its context, Isaiah 53 speaks about the servant of God, the Messiah, who comes as a sin bearer of humanity, and is punished on our behalf. I don't have, we don't have a lot of time to look at all of these, but we, we are going to look at a couple of these verses here this morning. Thank you, co-pilot. Isaiah 53, verse 3 says, and Again, Isaiah predicted 700 years before Jesus was born that his very own people would reject the Messiah. The Gospel of John says he came unto his own and? Yes. Thank you, Co-Pilot. One, two, three. Thank you. When I first heard these words, I, and I came to faith in Jesus when I was 25, and that's now, just over 35 years ago. I knew as I was speaking about Jesus who died on the cross for my sins and who took the punishment from God that was due to me because of my sinful life. The truth is that all of us fall short of God's standards, all of us like sheep have gone astray, but God has provided a sin bearer for us. He has provided his own son, Yeshua, our Messiah, to, make, to take the punishment that we deserved from God upon himself and in turn give us his righteousness as a gift of God's grace. Verse 11 says the following. Here, Isaiah speaks about the resurrection of the Messiah. And the result of the resurrection means that those of us who put our trust in Yeshua are made just before God. I'm often asked by Christians. How do do Jews receive forgiveness for their sins? Uh, How do we get forgiven for our sins? It's a very good question to ask. Jewish people today still reject Jesus as the Messiah. There's only a few of us who, who walk with Jesus, who believe in him, who follow him. Most Jewish people reject that Jesus is the Messiah. And the way that the Jewish community finds forgiveness for their sin today is through three, three things. Prayer, fasting, and good deeds. But you've got to ask yourself the question, is that the biblical answer to how our sins can be forgiven. It's not. It's not the answer. We we need the scales to be taken off our eyes. And you know, friends, that only happens when, through the preaching of the word of God, through... um, through, through being able to share with the Jewish person about Jesus, the Messiah. Um, we, we so, so much need, so much need God in our lives. The Apostle Paul, okay, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, thank you. Priceless gift. Priceless. You will not get a get something so so priceless in all your life. So from all these prophecies that we have looked at, we can see that the Messiah had to do what? Okay, let's start again. Thank you. Only one man in history has ever fulfilled these credentials, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. There is a messianic paradox. (laughs) So, why don't Messiah's credentials speak as clearly to Jewish people as they do to Christians? We must be fair to Jewish people and admit that the Hebrew prophets presented a messianic paradox, seemingly contradictory prophecies about the Messiah. Many scriptures speak about a conquering Messiah who descends upon human history and brings peace to the whole world. Scriptures speak about the messianic age when nations will learn of war no more and the Messiah will will rule from his throne in Jerusalem. This is the, one of the greatest objections that Jewish people have to the Messiahship of Jesus. And they say that Jesus could not be the Messiah because he didn't bring peace to the world. In fact, since he has come, there's been more wars than peace. That's what they tell me. However, the scriptures give us a paradox. For the very same prophets that speak of the Messiah coming to, as a conquering king also speak of the Messiah coming to suffer and die. These two seemingly contradictory portraits of the Messiah have confused many. Ancient rabbis tried to answer this paradox by teaching that there must be two messiahs. One who comes to suffer, and another messiah who comes to be glorified and bring peace to the whole world. Many orthodox Jews still hold on to this teaching. Two messiahs with two different roles. However, these people have a problem of perspective. For we who believe in Jesus do not believe in two different messiahs, but rather one messiah who appears twice. He appears the first time to deal with with the problem of sin, for surely humanity cannot have have peace until peace rules in our own hearts. Then the same Messiah returns and brings peace to the entire world. Among all the founders of world religions, Jesus is the only one who predicted his return. As Christians, we are expecting the Messiah to return. And he could return at any moment. We must not allow ourselves to become complacent. Uh, We should be expectantly waiting for the Messiah's return. Are you? Close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to tell you a story and I want you to picture this There was a large uh, fishing boat returning to shore after being weeks away at sea. The seamen were all anxious, gazing toward the dock where a group of their loved ones uh, uh, were there waiting for their arrival. The first mate looked through his binoculars and called out, Sam, I see your wife Hilda, Ben, your wife Sue, and your kids are there, and so on. One of the fishermen, was anxious because his wife wasn't there to meet him. He left the dock in a hurry and went home. He could see the front porch light was on. He opened the door, and his wife ran to him, saying, Darling, I've been waiting for you. The fisherman replied, Yes. But the other men's wives were watching. For them, you may open your eyes. You see, it's not a laugh." for us to leave the front porch light on, friends. We must also watch with expectancy for our Messiah's return. Thank you, co-pilot. Let's read. Don't get distracted. Remain in unity. May I pray for you? Father, I thank you, Lord, for Kerrang Baptist Church, Lord. Thank you, God, for uh, your work here uh, in this community. I thank you for Pastor Fred, Lord God, and for Nancy. I thank you, Lord, for Every person here, Lord, who's part of this lovely congregation. Lord, I I know, God, that sometimes you call upon us to um, do things which is out of our comfort zone. But you will never ask us to do something, Lord God, that is too difficult for us to do. Lord, you always give us the grace. And you always give us the strength and the wherewithal, Lord God, to be able to fulfill that which you want, Lord. And Father, I pray, God, for the community of Kerrang, this, this, this community here. Lord, that, that uh, your name, your name will be lifted high, higher, Lord God. And Lord, that, that all men will be drawn to you, Lord Jesus. For you are worthy. Yibreka Adonai veishmerecha; Ya Er Adonai Panavalecha Vakuneka Yisa Adonai panavalecha, Vesem Lecha Shalom Bashem Yeshua Mashikenu The Lord bless you. And the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Shalom, friends.